So don't get too attached. Uh, you're Matt Bull. Hi, yeah, you're Liz Golding. And this is... Questionable People, episode 8, I believe. You know, last time I wanted to talk about what episode it was, and you told me it didn't matter. Uh-huh, it does But doesn't. it is. It is episode 8. Great. Episode 8, which is Dan Forsyth, part 2. Yep. Um, and, and we kind of left... Episode one, mid-conversation, as he was uh, describing his decision to leave the Byzantine Catholic priesthood. Uh, when we join this one, he's unpacking how he did that and what the fallout was. So uh, this is a kind of mid-conversation you'll jump into. And if for some reason you haven't listened to the previous episode, you you should. Yeah. It's uh, you should just turn this one off right now and yep. go back and listen to that one. The other reason to possibly turn this one off, if you're one of the listeners who fast forwards through all of the me talking parts just to get to the Liz talking part, which is an entirely valid way of interacting <laughs> with our podcast, this might not be the podcast for you. I think if, if you played a drinking game where you took a shot for every word that Liz spoke in this podcast, you would just be mildly buzzed at the end of it. Are you talking about Raina, the host the, or the owner of Sandwich Hag? Uh, or are you, you talking about somebody else entirely? Because that <laughs> is what she told me. But if there's another person out there that, that fast forwards just to get to the part where I talk, I really need to, I need to know. <laughs> I didn't know that's who it was. I am going to so use that against her next time I go to Sandwich Hag. Uh, that's hysterical. Uh, yeah, so you were well over this conversation at the time that it was happening? Not because... I don't appreciate it. I just, I don't, I'm over everything after about 9 mm -hmm. p.m. Uh, we also added to the mix that Dan and I had had quite a bit to drink by this point, and we're just entirely enjoying everything that occurred to us to talk about. Yeah. So the, it's topics such as Tolkien's, uh, Tolkien and Lucifer and, and Jewish demonology and, um, ancient epics and James Baldwin and um, lots of lots of disconnected things Moby Dick it's a pretty good summary it is um, I, and I when I listened back to episode seven I felt like I could feel my presence in that episode but I'm I'm not sure you can as much in this one. Though I was here. I, want, I would like, the again, the record to show I was here. Yeah. And I was and awake. working so hard to stay conscious. I, that was where all my effort was. Yeah, I could feel it. Um, maybe the listeners will be able to feel it, too. Uh, I'm excited to hear this episode for maybe during the, the day. first time. <laughs> for real. So, yeah. Um, uh, one other thing I wanted to say is that uh, in the last episode, we talked about how Dan came to my house to um, to help my son, so through liturgically help my son through some some monster fear that he had about a closet. Since then, I have found Dan's actual liturgy that he wrote for that occasion, and I will put that on the website. And you should go to questionablepodcast.com to see that it is called. A Liturgy for the Blessing of Closets and the Banishing of All Terror. It's so great. And we actually sent Dan a message because Dan's now in Spain. Yep. But we said he needs to get working on, on a whole book. We've talked, we've tried to pressure Dan into writing this book for a long time. And we have decided that it will be titled Lesser Known Liturgies. And um, 
and it will just be him using the liturgy as a creative writing format to I, I think it's a wonderful, it's going to be great, whatever it is, and he needs to write it. And you guys, if you know Dan, you should pressure him as well. Absolutely. I also think we get a cut, don't you? We don't talk about that on the air. That's oh. that's gauche. Fine. <laughs> that was an attempt at a joke. I'm feigning shame. <clears throat> okay, cool. Uh, let's jump in mid-conversation. Here we go. Yes, let's. So how did you, what was the actual process of leaving like? How did you I, resign? I um, wrote a letter to my bishop. Um, I did not explain why I wanted to, and I just said that I wanted to take a leave of absence. Um, and and was I was advised to not say why, oh. because... I had reason to believe that my bishop might attempt to use my sexuality against me in a sort of smear campaign because he had done that to other people. Um. Um, and so I just simply said that I, I needed a leave of absence. And he did not answer my letter. And it took like four months to finally, and me like calling the bishop's office repeatedly. I knew that he had it because like, the priest who was his second in charge like called me to say, like, hey, the bishop has your letter and you should be getting a call from him soon. And then he never called. And then finally he ended up calling and he was like, well, is there anything I can, can do to convince you to stay? And I was like, no, not really. And he was like, okay, well, um, so next Sunday will be your, this Sunday will be your last Sunday. And I was like, then that was it. Hmm. And there wasn't... An, and then that was really it. Like, it was my last Sunday. Were you there that No, day? we. I can't remember why, but I, I heard about the yeah. neighborhood contingent that was yeah, not your... Yeah, a group of my friends came, like, suddenly out of the blue, and they were all sitting in the back. Liz's husband, know. Brian, was there. Um, and I had no idea anyone was coming. And it was... You know, that last Sunday was terrifying. I, I didn't know, like... There were people in the congregation who knew it was coming. But most of them didn't. You had most of them didn't, um, and there was really like nothing I could say. Um, I couldn't really say, "Hey, I'm," and because it was all so sudden, and the bishop said, "This Sunday will be your last Sunday." Like that was it, and um, and so I look out over the congregation and I see like the few people in the congregation who knew like knew everything about me and who knew that this was coming. But then I like, look to the very back of the church and there are my friends sitting back there, um, grinning. <laughs> Brian was like back there just like grinning at me. <laughs> like, um, and it meant so much to me. Like I felt, I felt very supported and loved. Um, I love that they were there. And I feel like I, I feel like I said in my final sermon and then in my, my the words that I gave at the end of that liturgy, like I feel like I said what I wanted to say yeah. that day and what was necessary for me to say. Um, and I know that you still, even as you were leaving, you still felt at home in that tradition mm -hmm. and hoped at some point to, you knew you had to sort of like 
find another church home for mm-hmm. for a while, and then eventually your your hope was to return to either that church or another Byzantine yeah. Catholic church. Is that still um, how you would describe I your don't, hope, or what? Yeah, I don't know. I'm. I went to an Episcopal church here in Oak Cliff. Yeah, our, uh, friend, our friend Paul's church. Our friend Paul, before he went off to Notre Dame. Um, to ancient texts. Yeah. Um, Side note, do you think Paul's he... Paul's a fan of the podcast, by the way. Well, do you think he knows Mayor Pete? I don't know. Sure, I hope he knows Mayor Pete. I, I A former parishioner of mine is How w- living in South Bend and loves Mayor Pete. Wait, wait, wait. You think Paul... Like Father Paul might know Mayor Pete, Pete. Buttigieg. Why not? I mean, he must. He go. I don't know. He live. I don't he know geography mayor. well. There's a geographical yes, connection. Same city, South really? Bend. Notre mayor. Dame is in South Bend, I Indiana. I didn't know that. Okay. And Mayor Pete is Episcopal. <gasps> yes. Oh my gosh. We, oh, I never put those two together. Oh. Uh, I put it together the other day. I got very excited. So <laughs> and you're like Paul Reilly. Paul. Hi, Father Paul. You, by the way, he's listening from Notre Dame while he's probably has like special gloves on and looking at some thousand, fifteen hundred year old book. Okay, so we mentioned this previously, but just wanted to chime in again and remind everybody who Paul Wheatley is. If you don't know who he is, who is he, Matt? Oh, he's uh, he's an Episcopal priest who studies um, ancient, not I don't know, old, very very old books that you have to read behind a like like a, I picture them in sort of like a bubble boy kind of thing where you got to stick your armed hands through yeah the gloved hands through a, a wall and turn the pages a certain way it's probably not actually like that but that's the image I prefer I threw that to you because I had no idea how to explain what he does so I think that's great yeah uh, and he used to live here he did yeah if he comes back he'll be we'll interview him on the show for sure uh, but he's not here right now no okay bye thousand fifteen hundred year old book behind I'm the glass. I'm super here for his Mayor Pete story because everyone has one. Yeah, I've invited Paul. His promised he will come on the podcast. Um, well, we have to space out our clergy. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Well, I know he's in, he didn't I, threaten to like drop in next week, but he it's he doesn't live here anymore, yeah. so it's going to take some organization. I dearly love Father Paul. He's yes, a, he's a really wonderful. Person. Yeah, he is. Okay, so you were going. I was going to St. Augustine's, the Episcopal Church uh, in Oak Cliff that Father Paul Wheatley was pastor of. Um, and that was in, like an incredibly healing experience for me, just to sit in as a congregant, uh, as in a congregation, and just like he, like, and he gave always very beautiful, thoughtful, um, articulate sermons. Yep. Um, and the Two priests who are there now, uh, Mother Emily and Father. Um, she used to refer to herself as Father Emily, which I, I, I miss those days. Her, yeah, her Instagram is um, uh, Father Emily, sure. And um, she and her husband, or the priests there, they are really lovely people yep. and give beautiful sermons. And uh, and the people there are really lovely and beautiful. Um, it's a great, interesting congregation. Yeah. That's if I were a regular church attender, that is where I would go. And I'm, I don't, I don't know if you, Liz knows this, but um, I have not been to church since November. Yeah, I mean, that's um, me neither. <laughs> which, which is a remarkable change yeah, for, for me. For Dan, that's pretty huge. <laughs> that's a remarkable change for me. 
Um, huh. And did it just sort of happen, this, or was it conscious? It just sort of happened. Um, like I was sick a Sunday, and I just never went back. Um, and I realized about halfway through December that I wasn't entirely sure if I believed anymore. Um, and then by January, I kind of thought like, yeah, maybe I just don't. Um, and it was not a, I was talking with this lit with Liz recently. It was like, it was not like this moment of crisis for me. I just sort of was like, you know, like, well, and I just kind of like shrug. Well, that's, I don't know. Um, but then I have these moments when I just, you know, like a, a hymn comes up or like earlier yeah. when I was talking about a monk Theodora yeah. or, you know, I was thinking about like the Byzantine liturgy and what I love about it. And I wonder to what extent that being separated from that liturgy also separates me from the thing that that was your act your act, belief in action yeah, yeah that like perpetuates that belief yeah or, or makes it real hmm. um interesting and i don't know how to answer that question like i i don't know if i just don't believe anymore or if it's just that because i'm detached from that tradition and all of those because I'm detached from like crossing myself 75 times or 175 times in a service and hearing all of those hymns and singing about people getting their heads chopped off and women burned alive in brazen bulls like that those things make that faith real and make God real and present to me like there were these moments when I like think of a theological idea and I move to tears but on, you know, like on Sunday morning, I just want to go and read the New York Times at the coffee shop and have my coffee and that's it. Like I don't, I no longer, like, and this is the thing, like this is the problem. Like I wish that if I could go, I would really like to go back to St. Basil's and sing in the choir. That's mm -hmm. what I want to do. I really want to do that. Hmm. Um, but this, like, and if, Right. If any of your listeners are listening and they're thinking of a church of like 500 or 600 or 1,000 people, like no, so many yeah. churches in <laughs> Dallas are, right? St. Basil's is small. Yeah. Uh, there are 100 people on and a Sunday like, morning. Like eight people in the choir or something? You know, and they're like, yeah, eight people in the choir. Yeah, you're going to stand out. So it's like you know everybody. That I knew everybody's <laughs> name oh, yeah. at St. Basil's. I knew you know, I mean, it's just... Yeah. So, going back there, I would love to go back there, but I'm afraid of, like, what kind of... Because people put so much... They attach so much emotional baggage to their clergy. Yeah. And... Yeah, that would take some courage. You're kind of... 
I mean, you always knew that if it could happen, it like would be wild. Yeah, I realize that I'm a little bit radioactive. Yeah. I have like a half-life that I have to endure before I could go back there. If and I, mean, I don't, you know, and this is the thing, like there's no other church in the Byzantine tradition that's here, except for like Orthodox churches, but like ortho, an Orthodox church would require, if I wanted to receive communion, for example, I couldn't. Um, if I wanted to, I would have to renounce the fact that I had ever been Catholic, but I think is bullshit. Um, Where? Wait, what? In Orthodox Church. Like, if I oh, like wanted to receive Orthodox? communion, like a Greek or a Russian Orthodox Church, whatever, if I wanted to become, if I wanted to receive communion, in order to be received into that church, I would have to renounce my really? former, my former um, affiliation. Could you just mumble that part? No, I can't do that. <laughs> and, and I like, think you've established that yeah. you're much too conscientious of a yeah. person to and do that. And like, because to, to to mumble that part would be to like mumble over all of those lovely people who meant so much to me in the Byzantine uh, yeah. Church. I, and I'm like, yeah. no, I'm not going to do that. Um, oh. And those churches also have all sorts of objectionable views about yeah, who right. I am as a person. Doesn't like, solve anything, right? So that doesn't solve anything. <clears throat> and they can even be more aggressive about that especially here in texas yeah. because so many orthodox churches in texas are full of all right so there is a like a discontinuous gap in this part of the interview because uh dan went off on a what i believed was a delightful eviscerating witty rant targeted at a certain subculture in our society uh who shall remain nameless but uh, who who is a really a majority group that likes to view themselves as a persecuted minority? We'll just leave it at that. But uh, anyway, Dan thought better of his his rant, and we decided to respect his request to remove it because he is a better-hearted person than we are. So, Absolutely, he is. Uh, so that's why there's a gap here. Mine. Okay, that's what an it. evangelical uh, is. I am. I gotta say that I am. I am so glad that we got the true. I mean, the the presence of divinity in Dan is the, is the one side, but the uh, the vitriol that just <laughs> happened over that ten minute rant was the other side of Dan, and it was a beautiful thing. To oh see yeah, that's tangent. the whole point. Yeah, that was the whole. If point. I had prepared a Fast and the Furious question for Dan, like I think I I, I think I would have just withdrawn it at this yeah, point. Yeah, no, I think he. He, he won he up won to up you with the leaf floor. Yeah, well done. Well done. <clears throat> uh, no, that no. Liz like, is ready to wrap this up. Like, is it time to wrap this up? Hell no, it's not time to. This is a three-parter. We got we got so much more to get to. We could take a little break for just for us if we need to. But, uh, uh, you know, so one of my favorite things about Liz it's, nine, it's after it's, 9. It's 9.07. Do, do you need to go to bed? So we can Liz excuse you. Liz is in bed by 9 o'clock. Like if Liz, Liz is throwing a party. you need to go home, You know those like home. party words that you can like hang? It's like a streamer thing like up in your like, like happy birthday and like letters. And it's like hanging above, hanging above the kitchen table and the uh, birthday cake. Liz, Liz is, will say, please, Liz will say, please leave by, by 9. nine. <laughs> there's, there's, one, there's a real one. I want to buy it. Yeah. Also, I was at work at 5.30 this morning. Morning. I just, uh, you just can go home. Say, I'm you not go going home. home. This was. I will. Liz, let's I will point out. You were the one being, that suggested well, this time. You were at work at 5:30. I was up at 5:30. So. Uh, um. 
Okay, so I had a I had a way of getting into this Moby Dick thing. When I think about it, like very tenuously, um, but I was going to bring this up because I just I just stumbled on this guy's website who was an archaeologist, theologian, evangelical. Who half of his website is about um, disproving evolution, mm. but he had this this one totally separate thing that I thought was incredibly fascinating. I do not have the historical, theological background to evaluate it, so I was going to ask you about it. So, he his his argument, I don't even understand why. He clearly had an agenda that I can't figure out even how to piece into the Nobody can evangelical fathom project. And is then people. Anyway. But um but his whole point was that so he was saying it, it was all about Nimrod in Genesis, okay? So, <laughs> Liz, I'm guessing you never um, you made a macaroni a made a macaroni coloring sheet of Nimrod in your Methodist Sunday school class. No, no I don't even know who this is. <laughs> okay, so as a sidebar, Nimrod. Uh, most people know Nimrod as an insult from Looney Tunes. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, you know, wow, what a Nimrod. So it's it was Bugs Bunny calling Elmer Fudd a Nimrod. So people, so in popular culture, Nimrod is like a slur for an idiot. But we, it was a misunderstanding of the intended use of the word Nimrod. Nimrod to in the time of Bugs Bunny, people this were more. This is why I love Matt Bull, by the way. In the time of Bugs Bunny, when they originally came out, people were more schooled in like the history of Scripture and in the Old Testament in particular. Nimrod was known as a mighty hunter. He was Nimrod the mighty hunter. So when Bugs Bunny called Elmer Fudd Nimrod, he was actually saying he was. It was like a like fuck you, jerk. You don't even like like what. Oh, here's this mighty hunter. Yeah, what a mighty hunter you are. He was like dunking on him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So scoring, as my kids would say these days. Yeah. Okay. But. But Nimrod was a, like an evil, sinister figure in Genesis. Um, so anyway, this guy's—that's uh, all a sidebar. The, the, this guy's argument was that um, that Nimrod um, was actually the, looking at the, the Hebrew roots of the word could actually be interpreted as just rebel, as the, as the word rebel, someone in rebellion to God. Um, and so his argument was that he made a really good textual analysis case using other ancient uh, texts that Nimrod was actually referring to Gilgamesh from the Epic of Gilgamesh. And that, um, uh, so his argument was that if, you know, the, the Old Testament is full of the names of other gods, um, why aren't there... Um, why aren't there ancient texts that refer to Jehovah or Yahweh? Or I like, mm-hmm. I sorry, I still have like around Dan. I still cringe. I, I I'm not supposed to say the te- the that which ref- the tetragrammaton refers to. There's a part of me the that four f- letter name of God in Hebrew that I won't speak. Yes, because Jews won't speak it. Y W Y. It's sort of you could like transliterate it as Y H W H. Um, so, uh, the divine name. Yeah. So he, his question is why this guy's main question is why do you look, why don't you see Yahweh mentioned in other ancient non-Jewish texts? And he makes the argument that you do in the epic, epic of Gilgamesh. If you assume that Gilgamesh is Nimrod, uh, there is a point where Gilgamesh goes to, um, he, he goes to the height of this mountain to try to kill a great beast god. 
that he calls Humwawa. And his argument is that Humwawa is, is Yahweh. And there's actually a sculpture of Humwawa, who in other translations is Humbaba, uh, which is a lion's face in like a British museum somewhere. Where it's like leftover mm. from the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so like he, he, he'd use all this textual analysis to, to argue that part of the reason Gilgamesh wanted to kill Humwawa was that Humwawa was the god responsible for the flood. Oh yeah, that like the, that he breathed flood from his chest was uh, like how they described this uh, uh-huh. uh, this god, and that um, and that in the Epic of Gilgamesh he succeeds he like kills, kills Yahweh, mm-hmm. and um, and so he he points to the the verse in Genesis where they're discussing um, Nimrod, and he they, the, the the phrase is and that's why we called him a mighty hunter before the Lord. And he, but the, the guy makes the argument that that phrase could be termed, like, if it were an existing phrase, it could against be a mighty the Lord? killer against the Lord, of against the, Lord. the Lord, yeah. The, the, like, the vanquisher the face of, the Lord, of yeah. Yahweh, which is how the Gilgamesh story goes. So I still, I don't get why this guy was trying to make this argument, but I really think it's an interesting, fascinating argument. And I, did, I don't know if you know enough about that. I don't know anything about that, but <clears throat> I spent way too much time reading a lot about this lady this lady named Margaret Barker, um, who does that sort of writing. She's a Methodist, by the way, a Methodist minister. Um, she does what sort of writing? But she delves into a lot of things that Methodists don't normally delve into. But anyway. Um, he was looking at Liz the whole time he said Oh, I just, I just I wanted to make the... I, I'm always, like, making Methodist, Methodist connections to Liz. Yeah. Liz grew up Methodist, so yeah. I, I, I have, like, a soft... I have a soft spot for Methodism. Methodists are solid because people. I have a great deal of respect for the Wesleyan brothers. Um, Do you know Hobbes, our friend, got, uh, did a sculpture of Charles Wesley? Yes, he was. Yes. He was. He was hired by the Methodist Church. He also did a sculpture of the uh, of the divine beasts that stand before the face of the Lord, like the 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 one that has the uh, head of an ox, the head of a man, the head of a Eagle, oh, the from, head of a from Isaiah. Yeah. What? He also did that. Yeah. So that wasn't a commission, was it? I I don't know, but I've I've did seen a Methodists picture of. Ask for that? No, I don't think a Methodist <laughs> asked for that. But you know, it's like the six-winged beast with four heads and yeah, you know the um, the living creatures. That's what they're called, the okay. living creatures. Uh, that so form the that form the living throne of God. And yeah. Fly in all directions at once. The cherubim, and, yeah, and seraphim. The, the, yeah, the chariot throne of God. Sounds terrifying. terrifying. They are terrifying. Yeah, they're meant to be terrifying. Cherubs, as chubby babies, That's ridiculous. Yeah. Again, we skipped over that. They should be terrifying beasts that you know unnerve you and nope. make you fall on your face. I did not spend any time in church growing up being terrified. I just wanna. Hmm that out there i feel like that's a not, I feel a, not like a common experience envy you and pity yeah. you all yeah. at once yeah. <laughs> i'm not going to say that that's a problem in methodism i feel like it's a problem generally that if you're not like terrified in church not terrified for like guilty reasons right you were probably spent a lot of time feeling a certain amount of terror but it's for terror, like terror shame Shit, yeah, yeah, for like shitty reasons. Yeah, that I didn't, but, that I missed an opportunity to share share yeah. the abiding love of Christ with somebody when yeah, I sat next that, to them. That's sort of bullshit. But like, if Christianity had more like, like legitimately like terrifying things, like you might 
suddenly have a four-headed, six-winged creature full of eyes show up with lightning flashing out from under its wings, well, then that's kind of scary. As a reward. That's the scary part. Not as a punishment. And that's a good thing. (laughs) Like, that's like if you play your cards right. (laughs) That was a good thing. You get to step into the presence of a Zazel. Actually, no, a Zazel was the... Yeah, of this, you know, of this god who's very ancient Near Eastern Mm. and... Totally alien to it's our Metatron. Way of that's Meta- the, that's yes. the name I was Metatron. Metatron. Do you know about Metatron, Liz? Metatron is so. Is have you angel? ever heard of? Have you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. have you ever heard of Enoch? Oh, Enoch know. is this character in the Book of Genesis who's a man, right? And he lives to be a long, ripe old age. And then he's. It says he walks before the Lord, and then he was not because he was taken up to the Lord or something like yeah, that. It's like, like Elijah, this, but not. This is like this weird thing where he just doesn't die. He's just suddenly not there anymore because he's now with God. So in the in the period towards the end you of the Old know, Testament... Just to give a heads up, you know there's an alien connection to this. And the, <laughs> yes. At the, <laughs> of at, course there towards is. Towards the end of the writing of the things that are in what we now call the Old Testament, but before the writing of the things that we now call the New Testament, there's this like whole body of literature, this like apocalyptic literature that Jews were writing at the time right before Jesus and one of them is like the apocalypse of Enoch and things like that so Enoch when he's suddenly just taken up what happens to him that's the big question right so he's taken up his clothes are stripped off of him and he's clothed in white linen and then he's transformed into the great angel Metatron Yes. This is like fanfic. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's. But better. But better. Because there's like. Yeah. Because you can like worship this shit. Like. And his name's Metatron. 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 Got yes, it. absolutely. Okay. Who is the voice of. Who becomes the voice of God. Like, God never himself. By the mediates. way, do you know. Go ahead. Here. Yes. Hit. Go. Uh, trivia. Who played Metatron in a movie that came out? Within the last twenty years. Um, what? Um, um. Wait, is this the movie with Matt Damon and um and um and the other guy that plays Batman now? Matt Damon and the other guy. And what? neither one of them is Metatron, though. Metatron appeared. Yes. One of the, Oh, Alanis uh-huh. Morissette. No. No, she but was you're God. In the right movie. Wait, Alanis, Alanis Morissette, Morissette was, was God. God. Who and was Metatron? Who was the voice of God? I can't believe you don't know this. Uh, this Matt. is in Metatron is you, in this it, deep in po- you, popular culture. Do you know yes. what movie I'm talking about? No, I don't know what, what movie you're talking about. Um, the, um, mm. it, the opening mm. scene, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are Dog- they're angels and they're in the Dog- airport. Is it called Dogma or something? Is it? Yeah, Dog. And then there's the buddy Jesus. Dogma. And then they I've seen Dogma, but it was before I knew who the fuck Metatron was, so I didn't retain that part. I couldn't tell buddy you. Buddy Jesus. Any- yeah, absolutely. Dogma. There you go. I couldn't tell you. Metatron was in Dogma. Yeah, so let me tell you, he goes on to play a character that is now deeply ingrained in every millennial's subconscious. Who goes on? The guy who plays Metatron. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. Uh, Oh. 
And when he died... Ah, jeez. He left... He left a... a, He left like a horcrux-sized hole in everybody's heart. (laughs) Oh, Alan Rickman! Alan Rickman, Rickman. I was like... Rickman played Metatron. I've seen Alan Rickman in person. Is your life now complete, Matt? Yes. (laughs) I had no idea. Alan Yeah was in Jones Cafe in New York. He was having dinner with Sigourney Weaver in a side booth. Um, and that was like before Galaxy Quest came out, and in, in retrospect, they were like discussing Galaxy Quest, deciding whether they should Which, do it. And that's they, a good movie. And I walked by, and they both looked at me like, "Is this Joker going to talk to us?" And I was, of course, I was too cool to like say anything to them, but um, but it was awesome to see them. You were in the presence of Metatron. I was in the presence of Metatron. Wow, that's incredible. That movie's probably the only reason that name like. Is, did anything for me. Yeah. I just didn't know why. Wow. It wasn't because of the Methodist, but it was. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Enoch, Enoch goes is Azazel in the Book of Enoch. I actually have a browser tab of the Book of Enoch open on my huh. laptop right now. <laughs> <At all times. laughs> of course, at naturally at all times. Keep it open at all times. Because <laughs> I was uh, looking for the connection between a uh, fallen angel named Azazel and uh, Prometheus in, uh, in in Greek mythology, um, See, which is so. So this is what used to have. This is what a lot of our conversations were actually about, um, like me and Matt and uh, and Hobbs uh, on those like long two three yep. hours of having coffee Free in the morning. Yeah. Um, Almost always, it came around to something involving. So Azazel in the so Azazel is in the Old Testament as mm-hmm. the um, demon that. In the scapegoat story, you mm-hmm. know, when you're given the instructions for, you get two goats, mm-hmm. and one of them you one of them sacrifice is, to the Lord. Is for the Lord. Yeah. The but, other but one. Margaret, but Margaret Barker says one of them is the Lord. Who is the, the second time you mentioned Margaret Barker? I don't know who the fuck that is. We've talked about her before. Uh, tell me again. She's, this, she's a Methodist, first of all. Okay. Um, she's a theologian, and she she has this like whole bizarre theory of like, so you know there are two. Temples in Jerusalem. Yeah, the first That's temple, the first the one temple. destroyed by the Babylonians. The second one destroyed by the Romans. Yeah. Um, so, what was the religion in the first temple like? That's the largest yawn I've ever seen on your face, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> what was that religion like? We don't know what it was like, and she attempts to reconstruct it okay. based on all of this okay. like text evidence and stuff. Oh, okay, like that. so she's all about um, analyzing first temple Judaism. Yes, okay. and as opposed to what second temple Judaism was, okay. and she believes that Jesus. Mel- this is Melchizedek. He comes into this in first. Mel- right. Oh, so, this so is Margaret. Then this ties into all the secret society shit and yeah. the Masons. And the, all right, all right. All right, that's right. So we have talked about this. Margaret Barker believes that I'm Jesus on. restore was attempting to restore first temple Judaism. Okay. Um, and so if you have this goat, and yes. so the the in our Bible translations, it usually says something like, you bind this, like, plate on the goat's head that okay. says holy to the lord um but that's what it says in the scripture it says that the goat is holy to the lord but like it's something about like the way that the hebrew um preposition works it can also mean something like the goat is holy because it's the lord the goat becomes god 
goat is the Lord God of Israel. Huh. At that moment. And that's the and, one. And that's the one that's, that's sacrificed, sacrificed to Yahweh. And right, and its blood is then sprinkled on the people. Okay. Right. So, so you get sprinkled with the blood of God. So you can okay. see Got how it. this connects to like Christian. Yeah. Like this is why Margaret Barker believed that Jesus is restoring Was the restoration of uh, first this temple like Judaism. first temple Judaism. Okay. So the other goat is it's laden with the sins of is, sins of Israel. It is for uh, is to Azazel. Azazel. That's how you say it. That's how I always said okay. Azazel. I think in, in Hebrew, probably Azazel. Yeah. I love, I didn't know Azazel. that you were going to know who Azazel was. And yeah. these, I have so many questions about Azazel. So, and then that goat gets driven out into the wilderness and pushed off a cliff. Okay. Um, and that goat is for Azazel. Yeah. But is it for Azazel or is it in the same way was that other goat for the Lord or is that goat actually Azazel? Okay. Um, Got it. It depends on how you like play with the preposition. Okay, so the who is Azazel? So, Azazel is this angel that is associated with evil, um, and like now we would think of it maybe like in our kind of Christian mindset as a fallen angel, mm -hmm. but of course in ancient Jewish religion, like there's another angel, uh, Satan. Mm -hmm. right. Satan um, and that he was not like bad mm, he was the accuser he was, he was, the, he was the, the he was like a prosecuting attorney exactly so in Job in the book of Job which by the way your book Moby Dick um, references a lot we got a lot uh, left to talk about here Just yeah so part four so, coming up so you have this like Right, so Satan is like this prosecuting angel. So he's like, he sort of works for God as a prosecutor. Um, he like would look at Liz and say, "Oh, you know, God might say about Liz. Oh, I think she's really great." And the prosecuting angel says, "Um, mm, here are this <laughs> list of things that make her not great." And then he like accuses Liz of a number of things, and then God makes a decision based on these sorts of accusations, right? So Azazel was probably so, originally a character kind of in that realm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, a kind of figure that's neither bad nor good, just kind yeah. of like there, and God sort of tolerates and isn't doesn't mind. Um, but later, as you're moving closer to the time of Jesus, those characters begin to, like Satan and Azazel, begin to be considered more in the realm of like this evil kingdom that's separate from and opposed to God and when that shift happens in Judaism I'm not exactly sure but okay. it happens like after the Babylonian yeah so in that exile. same kind of Deuter the book of Enoch same era mm -hmm. more or less because the book of Enoch goes doesn't it isn't it the one that expounds on Azazel a little bit more? Maybe. I think that that so I'm not sure. Here's what I've read about Azazel. Tell me if this all rings a bell. You yeah. are probably the resident Azazel <laughs> expert in the room. So Azazel was an angel <laughs> Liz. who brought, uh, much like Prometheus, oh. brought fire and like weapon making skills and in, in the interesting sort of Judeo-Christian touch that is missing from the Greek touch of the Greek story of Prometheus he brought the art of makeup to women 
So like of making like of eyeshadow and stuff. And for these reasons, weaponry fire. That's not a gift. And makeup. <laughs> and makeup. Yeah, he, makeup is not a gift. He was he was cast out of heaven by by God and the other angels uh, onto the rocks of the desert, which is exactly like the Prometheus myth. Like ca- mm. Prometheus was cast onto the rocks of the Caucasus and chained there. Um, there may even be chains mentioned. Uh, in the Book of Enoch to mm. Azazel. The, the other interesting thing about the Prometheus myth is that that theft of fire myth is in is as pervasive as the flood myth. Mm. Um, which I'm trying to think, is there a theft of fire myth in just in Azazel and, and the Jewish? Yeah, nation? right. Not a theft of it. He taught he taught humans the art of fire. Uh, Azazel did, according to the Book of uh, Enoch. I think it was the Book of Enoch. Um, but uh so the the interesting thing about this time period um in which a lot of these books are written is that i think it's a lot it's very similar to our own time period oh. right before the time of jesus right you have this this like extreme sort of like political and religious polarization and you have a rise of well you have the birth of apocalyptic literature at that yeah. time and so this whole like end times, we're living in the end times, the world is divided between the us and the them. We are the sons of light and they are the children of darkness and we're fighting in this great apocalyptic battle for the destiny of the universe. Like, I'm just trying to decide if that's reassuring or not. Maybe reassuring in that we've been here before and yeah. we survived. On the other hand, the yeah, survival they, ended up being like the fall, in the, dark ages. the fall of the Roman Empire in the Dark Ages yeah. and yeah, all of that. So I was also thinking, yeah, then Jesus, well, Jesus came. So then what, what happened? But Jesus next was to very us? much a part of that world. Oh, and Jesus's true. own like preaching is very much influenced by that preaching. Jesus says all sorts of apocalyptic things. Like Liz, Liz after nine is like a whole other human being. Just like this is this I've not seen this before. It's uh like the posture is different, the facial expressions. Like there's effort in the eyelids now that I've never noticed before. This is amazing. I'm not I uh, I'm just just pointing this out to the, to the listeners to paint a picture here. I'm just I have a switch. And uh-huh. it flips at nine. Flips. Whether Liz wants it to flip or not, it, it flips. Yeah, no, it's not that, tr- truly, it has, I've always been like that. I was the first kid to go to bed at slumber parties, <laughs> which opened me up for ridicule and much being made fun of. I wanted to be the first person to go to bed in college. Always the designated driver. Yes. Because she was like, I will be yes. home by 8.30. Yes. So I can be in my PJs by 8.45. Yes. So. Uh, thank you for making time for us, Liz. Appreciate it. It's, it's an, an, an act of love and we feel it. I'm glad. <laughs> uh... I feel really bad for Liz because I think Matt and I both know that we could probably go on until two in the morning yeah, yeah. and we haven't even gotten to Moby just, Dick yet. Just show yourself out anytime. It's fun. Part we, of me is 
just happy that you guys are together. I am too. This is like this is the first time. <laughs> this I've is seen like Dan. I'm so happy. I'm happy. <laughs> this is like in the way that Jessica Spano says. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, so excited. excited. I'm yeah. so excited. I can't. Oh. I'm so, so scared. scared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Dan has a stupid schedule now that doesn't doesn't involve being at the coffee shop at, shop at eight. I've never. I have not seen Matt in like it's been a year. Six months. Yeah, it feels Four. like a year. Feels like a year, but it's yep, it's true. Um, so I asked you, are we done with the Zazzle? Do you have anything to add to the Zazzle story? I, I think we've. I'm perplexed. I just need to. I need to. Like, I'm still trying to flesh out this whole Prometheus thing because, um, it's it's. It's all, I don't. I don't need to get into. We can that. come back to it on a different episode. A different episode. I want. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna research Azazel in my Margaret Parker books. Okay. Um, and Thanks. I'll come back to you. Please, about I appreciate that. that. I need. I need all the. Or we can fill in like a, a short like yeah. addendum to this. And then there's the whole like Lucifer connected to Venus connected to Christ thing. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, like, uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of. There's a lot. Yeah. Of, I, don't, I don't know. I'll save it. And isn't Lucifer a beautiful name? Like, Lucifer is like, a beautiful name. A beautiful and name. Lucifer light bearer. was not. Lucy. I mean, Lucy. Lucifer, the name Lucy. Light bearer. Lucifer was not uh, an evil no. concept. No. Lucifer literally is the Latin name for Venus, for the star Venus, for the morning mm-hmm. star, the light bearer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is also a plot to Christ in yeah. uh, like maybe only in Revelation or I can't remember the bright and morning star the bright and morning um, star yeah and it shows up in some of the Anglo-Saxon poetry um, well aren't which, there words like actually, some like popes or bishops which, that were named like Lucifer so, also uh, earlier and, and you have this like this Anglo-Saxon poem um, that refers to Christ as a light bearer mm-hmm. as A. Arundel. What? Are you? Do you know who A. Arundel yeah, is? Yeah. No. I mean, I, I'm reading Tolkien right now. Okay. With my kids, so, so A. Arundel is this word that shows up in this Anglo-Saxon poem that Tolkien read, and he was like A. Arundel. It's both a personal name and like a title. Yeah. Right. The it's it basically means Lucifer. Right. It's the light bearer. <gasps> The morning star. I the, just read this the, passage. The one to my who kids. brings it's me out. The one who brings light, right? Um, actually, uh, if you hold on, if you hold on just a second, I can actually bring up the actual poem, and I have notes. To cut out two fifty-seven. Here it is. Okay, here it is. <laughs> you got it. Here it is in Old English and then in English. Ayala Arendel Angla Berchtast Ofer Medandgeard Monum Sendet On Sod Festa Sonnen Leoma Tort Ofer Tunglas Thu Tedekavane Of Silfum Thesimla in Lechtes. This is this is Eilberth Gilthoniel. This is Tolkien, straight up. Hail, Arendel, brightest of angels, sent unto men upon this middle earth. What? Thou art the true refulgence of the sun, radiant above the stars, and from thyself illuminest forever all the tides of time. So that is a poem written by the bishop Kinnewulf, and it's called Christ. It's a poem what? about Jesus Christ. When? What year? What year? Um, this is like the time of Beowulf. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. So, so like nine hundred. Uh, like nine hundreds, probably. 
So Ayala did you, did you notice I got that right, Liz? So Ayala is, is hail, and you would recognize that as an Elvish word. Yeah. But Tolkien just took it right from Old English. Okay. Ayala, Arendelle. And Arendelle is this, like, this uh, hero that is central to his book, The Silmarillion. Yeah. So Tolkien read this poem, and he was like, Ayala Arendelle. It's like a title. You know, it's like, hail... And he just, here it's just translated as Hail Arendelle, right? Okay. And Arendelle is Lucifer. Hail Lucifer. Hail Morning Star, right? Hail Bearer of Light. What's the light that he bears for, for Tolkien? The Silmaril. You're right. It is. Okay. It um, is. Brightest of angels sent unto men upon this Midandgaard, Middle Earth. Middle Earth. That is the Middengard is literally. That's why Middle Earth, Earth is Middle Earth because in Old English, they talked about the world that was circled by the seas as Middengard, Middle Earth. So isn't that great? Yeah. So speaking of Lucifer, so, so Tolkien creates. So Tolkien, you know, he was already like working on a language. Yeah. Like this, and it was just a personal language for him, and he wanted to start writing poetry in this language, and he had this word, Arendelle, and he was like, I want to write a poem about Arendelle, and so he wrote a poem about Arendelle, and that poem became the whole world that Tolkien created. Liz's expression has changed from exhaustion to concern. I just need to point that out. Um, That's amazing. I had no idea. And so the other, the, the interesting thing about, the, so the connection between Arendelle, mm-hmm. Elendil, Arendelle, and Lucifer is fascinating. I had no idea. And so the other interesting thing about so Lucifer. So do you know why Lucifer becomes a negative character? Because of the, uh, well, the Babylonian exile, king of Babylon, who is, calls himself, in Isaiah. And so the king of Babylon himself, calls himself the son of the morning, right? The, the yeah, morning, morning star. star. He calls himself and morning so star. And so Isaiah was like, oh, hey, morning morning star guess what you're gonna fall from heaven yeah right so for the whole fall from heaven and so then jesus says i saw Satan. i saw satan fall from heaven what does that mean so that's different though so jesus is just like cast demons out and this is in revelation oh no no, no, this this is is in in the gospels well one of the gospels maybe it's a mark maybe it's in Luke. i'm not sure mark's the best one yeah, Mark is the best one. Um, Jesus sees that. Yeah, we just fist bumped. Okay, um, Jesus casts some demons out, and someone are like, "Whoa, what did you just do?" And he was like, "I saw Satan fall from heaven," um, and so he's connecting Isaiah's taunt against the king of Babylon with the Satan. This prosecuting angel that's in the book of Job, Jesus unites those two figures and makes them one and says, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. In what context? Why would he do that? What, what is, he what says, is it, he says it in the sense of like, I was there and I saw it happen. So I'm guessing already by the time Jesus comes along, the a number of Jews in these like apocalyptic sects, like the Essenes, for example. Well, and Jesus, there's there's um, an argument that Jesus came out of the Essenes. Right. Okay. So there are like these apocalyptic Jewish sects who 
have like decided I mean they were maybe like our modern kind of like preppers you know they, they like yeah. remove themselves from the world they're like we don't want to have any connection with any of these corrupt institutions like the temple or the Roman Empire or King Herod right and we're going to make ourselves pure and we're going to separate ourselves and they see everything in this like very binary like light and dark good and evil um, way and so they begin to see this Satan as like a demonic evil figure that's opposed to God as a instead of just seeing it as well, just instead like, of how the book of Job describes him as one of like, the sons of God yeah you know, he's like he's God's like prosecuting angel like this is his job is to say hey this person isn't as good as you think he is right um, and so like they had already begun to like think of him that way um, and so Jesus connects that idea of him with Isaiah's I saw the morning star fall from heaven, which was Isaiah just taunting the king the of Babylon, Babylon who had called himself the morning star. Oh yeah, morning star, I saw you fall from heaven. Right. Um, and Jesus connects those things. What's, what's, so when Jesus is speaking about all this stuff, what's the context? Do you remember? Hmm. I don't, I don't remember the actual right. context in the gospels. I'm, my guess is that like, what does it mean in the broader, like earliest Christian context? It's this, that there is a there is a power that rules the world that rules the world the way that the Roman Empire rules the world. It rules the world the way that the Jewish temple ruled the world at that time, which was like all about the accumulation of religious power and the exclusion of people. Um, the exclusion of Jews who like didn't fit into that world view who didn't fit into definitions of purity and all of that sort of thing and these are people right these are the have nots who who want to see the whole fucking thing burn down Mm -hmm. and a new world emerge and when Jesus says I saw that I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning he's saying in a way, I saw that whole system fall from heaven like lightning. You think it's in heaven because, right, the Roman Empire is forever. And it claims divine origin. Mm-hmm. And the temple is forever. And it claims a divine origin. And the priests there, right, they can trace their lineage back to Aaron. And they hold their power over you. Well, you know what? I saw it fall from heaven like lightning. I think that's what Jesus is saying to his Interesting. followers, okay. um, and to all like all of these like poor people in Israel who felt like they Just didn't have a place, and right? And... and this includes the Pharisees, like the Pharisees themselves, right? We think of them as like opposed to Jesus, but they were like a part of the same religious movement that Jesus was in, and it was this idea of like, how do we bring this religion back to the people and make Israel great again. Okay. All right, I, I have to s- use an awful phrase. I have two. <laughs> I just <laughs> like, I almost missed that by but like, jumping. <laughs> like, how do we make it all great again? How do we all find a place? But like, you know, it's like in our own time, like the same people who feel like they've been left 
behind somehow. There's another awful phrase that the, oh, man, that the evangelicals have given us. Um, <laughs> we got to laugh at Elise uh, yeah. after nine. All right. Yeah. Left behind. Um, I'm always here like, for talking shit about Kirk Cameron. <laughs> you know, like, how do we, how do we do, like, if you feel like you've been left behind, how do you... Like Jesus was saying, like, uh -huh. I'm here for those people who were left behind, right? Okay. And so were the Pharisees. They were also saying, we're here for those who are left behind. Oh. Um, they just had it like a slightly different way than Jesus did about that. But, and the Essenes were like, we've been left behind, and, but we're the ones who God is paying attention to. And soon enough, all of these other motherfuckers are gone. They're going to be cast from yeah, heaven like lightning. That's and that, that was their and, whole and this deal. is this is like the song of Mary, you know, like the proud the the proud are cast down from their seats and the poor are lifted mm -hmm. up. The hungry are filled with good things, mm -hmm. and the rich are sent away empty. Um, all of like that's a part of the whole religious ferment of that time. It's mm -hmm. this like turning the tables on everything that people thought was fixed and set. Interesting. Okay, so so two two responses to that whole thing, if not that the end, the closing there. So so the uh, one of the interesting things to me about the Christ and Lucifer both being identified with the uh, with with the morning star with Venus. Um, I'm gonna bring this around to aliens, Mark. Of course I am. What do you? Who do you think you're talking to? Okay, we're gonna get there, but not not yet. One step at a time. Uh, so, Liz is like, oh no, the aliens. Anyway. So so so, um, but not yet. So so we're first. We gotta go through astrology first. So the first step is is uh, is so there's this this myth of all of you folks out there in Radio Land. If you could just see Liz's face right now. Okay, never mind. Liz's face hasn't changed since nine o'clock. It's just been exhausted and over it for for a good 30 minutes now um so 46 minutes now <laughs> <laughs> so uh uh there's there's a myth like it, it, even like ishtar the the mm -hmm. goddess that uh, was she sumerian i don't remember but um sumerian maybe was she i think so so the, there was this this death and rebirth over three days story. She was also you have any idea Liz, that this is where this conversation was going. to I go. tried to warn her. I tried to warn you, Liz. I I feel like I was. So we we're going to be talking like about weeks. ancient Sumer. <laughs> I, I just should have known your level of excitement about this interview should have meant we were going to be here five hours. I just should have known. I should have never agreed to a six thirty recording time. <laughs> should only ever be like 11 a.m. on a Saturday from now on. Hey, Paul Wheatley, if you if you are wearing your white gloves and you're touching ancient Sumerian cuneiform tablets right now, I hope that you feel validated. Keep going. There Keep are going. at least okay. two people who are super excited about whatever it is that you're doing yes. up there in South Bend, sure. Indiana yeah. with Pete Buttigieg. So, so like the theft of fire like the flood myth there is this myth of a god who descends into the underworld for three days mm -hmm. and returns um, for, in multiple multiple cultures and invariably that god is associated with the planet venus whatever that culture calls that planet venus and it is because the planet venus um, has this weird orbital mechanic because it's between us and the sun uh -huh. where it appears it can appear both in the morning 
as a predecessor to the sun in the evening. or in the evening. And it seems to be pursuing, like there's this mechanic where it seems to be pursuing the sun, pursuing the highest position in the sky. And that's when the sun subsumes it and then its orbit uh, shifts to where it appears to go, like to re go retrograde and appear instead in the evenings where it passes through and underneath the earth into the underworld oh. over three days. Which is uh, pure... which is an Arendelle thing? Did you know that? No, that's an Arendelle, Arendelle thing as well. Arendelle like rides what? this chariot underneath Middle Earth, like un through the underworld. Oh my god! Anyway, so um, so anyway, that <laughs> uh, that's fascinating. That that Christ Lucifer Ishtar slash so and so slash so and so mechanic three days into the underworld and then a rebirth. Um, so. Then uh, the other thing I was going to say as a response to everything that you just said was this idea of fallen angels. Uh -huh. So I, th it, the, I th believe the earliest idea of this is Genesis 9, 10. Sons of God. Sons of God, the Nephilim. The Nephilim yeah. So the Nephilim is this word in Genesis something or other where it's like we don't know what it means and it could be translated as something angelic. It could be translated as giants. It, it also, there's a possible translation that it means the fallen. Did you all see that movie Noah? What was it called, Noah? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Darren, Darren Aronofsky. Aronofsky had I Russell Crowe. The best Bible movie I have ever seen. I keep hearing I need to see that movie and I haven't. But... Why have you not seen it? I, you're, you're right. I feel ashamed of myself. Because I hear it's like Gnostic and weird. And it's so good. Okay, I'll see it. It is the best. I have never seen a Bible movie that was like Passion of the Christ. Total bullshit. But Noah. Fantastic. Okay, I gotta right, watch before it. Before we record the next episode, you're gonna see it. Okay, absolutely. We'll see it. We'll have a follow-up. Well, part five. Movie night. <laughs> Movie night. Liz is not only over this conversation, she is now over the entire podcast. <laughs> uh, so here's my question, though. What if the word Nephilim that could be translated as fallen actually should be translated as crashed? Oh, not, not just Wait, made the just aliens. There it was, because it was the Gosh. Nephilim who were no, the Nephilim. The key feature of the Nephilim was that they saw human females and found them beautiful and took them as wives and yep. were judged for that. Yeah. Both in Genesis, not not just in the Book of Enoch, but also in, but in, in Genesis, the book of Genesis itself. Right, and this is the reason why we have Noah's flood. Did you know that? The reason we have Noah's flood is because these angelic beings had sex with women on Earth. Adds up. <laughs> Obviously. That's why. Obviously. That's that's why you that's why you colored pictures of Noah's Ark in Methodist Sunday School. Speaking of Noah's Ark. <laughs> What, what, what do you think? So I wanna, I wanna like move for just a second. I'm sorry, Liz. <laughs> it's way past your bedtime, but I just wanna say, what do you think about that? That the reason that you colored, coloring book pages of Noah's Ark is because angelic beings from another world, who are maybe or maybe not the sons of God, came down and had sex with human women. That that's why we. 
color cute pictures of Noah's Ark. I mean, it's definitely a new piece of information for me to integrate into the story. We got we focused a lot on the the bird, the piece, the end part where you know you, God where the dove, God the dove like, flies yeah, out and yeah, like, and, and God was like, oh, I I don't think I'm gonna do this again. I'm sorry. I mean, I, that maybe is not exactly how it went, but I feel like we focused on the end part where it ended. Releasing the dove. Yeah, into and, the air. and everything was and good And coming again. back with the olive branch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's where my big issue with that whole story lies, is the end part. Like, what a pathetic fucking promise is that? Like, I, I won't destroy <laughs> the world again with a flood, which yeah, brings yeah. us to James Baldwin and his famous essay, The Fire Next Time, which is based on this line. <laughs> God gave he started he's named that essay after this God gave Noah the rainbow sign no more water the fire next time yeah exactly there you go but it's also like so I can't I every time I picture this story I picture like Noah like in conversation with God and God being like okay you, you did good proud of you like just so you know there's I'm making this rainbow in the sky like isn't that nice like take a look enjoy it you know what that means that means not going to happen anymore. And Noah's like, oh, that's fantastic. Like, we're not, like, we don't have to, we don't have to die anymore. And and God's like, oh, well, uh, no, uh, sorry, mis- misunderstanding. I, yeah, no more Everybody floods. still dies, just, you know, not all at once. And Noah's like, uh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. And, and God's like, wait, wait, I, you know, just, just to be clear, it's not, so not all at once, specifically by water. Like that's all I mean there. That's that's what the rainbow means. Like I'm not gonna kill you all. Well, I am gonna kill you all at, at different times. As we're gonna stagger I just it out. Make sure you understand in this contract. Ways. Like yeah. that's the that's seems the like entire very, promise. This seems like a very delightful thing to like <laughs> the Jewish rabbinical mind. Like you know, there's something kind of like lawyerly about it. And I don't mean this like as a stereotype, but I think this is like a very like specific. I think any any like Jewish thinker would be like, oh yeah, this is something that's delightful about our religion. Is that like God, <laughs> God says? Saves. God says, I'm not gonna destroy the world again by a flood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then no, Rabbi no, So and So says, yeah. by a flood he means not by water again. That does not mean not by fire. Right. Yeah, right. And then of course. Right within the tradition right there is the idea of being destroyed by fire absolutely which, there is um anyway that's kind of fun it is um thank you james baldwin yeah the fire next time uh so dan i did ask you to bring this is just to get like we need to get liz back into this conversation if we're going to keep this going any longer and we're going to have to turn the topic to food i did ask you to bring uh an example of a recipe from literature that you were did you you didn't get that text no oh I, mm-hmm. a recipe from literature yeah from literature i was gonna ask you to like a book that you're we can just skip it we can skip it okay well i i have a recipe. you have a recipe for is it is it whale steak it's whale steak um what are you reading right now by the way i'm reading fahrenheit 451 okay i'm reading uh, Chronicle of a Death by Told by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Oh, shit. Are you kidding me? 
with my kids. Did we talk about this? So I, I talked there's about. There's a Prometheus connection I, to Chronicle of a Death. Really? Told. Yes. Holy I had shit. a I had this fan. I had this amazing conversation with some kids today about like a hymen and virginity and oh that's right because like she the, the night she's a cute she the, because the husband the, finds out right, she's not she's not a virgin yes and so we talked about like what virginity meant like what it means physically and what it means like emotionally anyway that was a fun conversation so listen, to have with my kids I really because did. I like suddenly was like oh shit well this is something that this book is talking about and we need to talk about that because, like, even the girls in my class were like, well, Angela Vicario is to blame because she's not a virgin. And I was like, uh, what do you mean she's to blame? Well, she's to blame because she's not a virgin. And now she's married. And I was like, well, okay. D- so based on what we've read so far, do we know if she's had sex yet? Well, if she's not a virgin, then she's had sex. And I was like, okay, so there are like a couple of things here that are like a part of this. Anyway, so we, we talked about that a little bit. And then, and then I was like, and I was like, on the other hand, like, is it even like a thing? Is it even a th- like? Like, does that mean that she's to blame if she did have sex? And here she is on her wedding night with her husband, and he realizes that she's not a virgin. Like, is that something that she's to blame for? And they were like, and the girls in the group were like, yeah. It's her fault. Purity culture is very pervasive. Yeah. It's like in society. The one mm-hmm. satisfying bad thing about that story, though, is at least the 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 punishment is meted out on the man. And this that is case. true. Santiago Nasser, or on at least the, the disemboweled, gets disemboweled. And Santiago Nasser also, um, according to Davina Floor, grabbed my whole pussy. That was another. That was another line that was interesting to deal with in my in I my class. I didn't follow this. Yeah. So Davina Flor was the daughter of the the housekeeper or the kitchen. Right. The She's cook? the daughter of the of the cook. Oh, that's right. And okay. Santiago mm. Nasser on his way out the door to greet the bishop in the morning, um, and as Davina Flor is opening the door for him, quote, he grabbed my whole pussy. So there's that. So maybe he deserved to get his bat to get disemboweled. Disemboweled. Yeah. Um. At some point, I need to tell you my chronicle of a death foretold story in full detail. Okay, so there was that. Uh, what else are we reading? Sunny's Blues by James Baldwin. I haven't read that one. It made me cry. Oh. Okay, I'm gonna add it to the list. What Well. He's gonna oh, you were asking me what I'm reading right now. Yeah, I was asking you what I, I reading I am right not now. reading anything except for things that my kids are reading. Okay, gotcha. So, yep, that's gotcha. it. Gotcha. That, that was the answer to that okay. question. Um, Being a floor. Anyway, uh, whale steak. So I'm going to read I'm gonna read you something about whale steak from Moby Dick. 
We could try this. We could have a separate recipe later where we we try this. I mean, a separate episode. Uh, Can we try whale steak? Uh, Is that like legal? Yes, it feels illegal, but uh-oh. maybe if maybe you go to depends. Japan. Yeah, probably. Are you going to go to Japan for this podcast, Matt? Ah, uh, sure. Let's do Any it. Any whale steak? Let's do it. Oh crap! Where is it? I had a. You guys talk about something. I find find that I lost my place. I had tell a, me had about a Mayor Pete, Liz. What do you like about him? Just find. I wasn't planning on getting like emotionally attached to a candidate because there's so many candidates. Um, but I I don't know. Find his story. Many of them have compelling stories. I think this is one of those like. It's not a math thing where I added the numbers up and, like, he's better. I just kind of got excited about him as a candidate in a way I haven't felt about any of the other ones. So I have decided, for now at least, I'm just going to let myself be excited about him as a candidate. And by the time he isn't in the race anymore, I think the field will be much smaller. And then I can, like... I will have. I won't have fifteen people to choose from. You can like acquiesce to the Joe Biden candidacy. <sighs> yeah, yeah. If that's where it is, then that's what I'll do, or Bernie, or whatever. Um, um, but until then, I'm gonna I think follow about, him and his husband what, and their dogs. And like, I think what excited. I like about Pete Buttigieg is that he articulates. He articulates. <laughs> Period. <laughs> like, to have a public official who can articulate um, is one thing. But he articulates progressive policy positions in a way that don't feel like they're about to open up a chasm that separates huge blocks of people between those who are on the side of darkness and those who are on the side of light, for example. Um, I feel like he has a sense of those policy positions being able to, like he just talks about them in a way that doesn't seem threatening or revolutionary. It's like the old person's idea of what a young person should be. Did you read that David Brooks yes, opinion piece I did. also? I did. Dan? <laughs> um, like that just kind of came to my mind, but I was like, yeah, it was a good point. I didn't like a lot of the things that David Brooks said in that article, but yeah, um, I did think that was kind of like, oh yeah, it's kind of true. But... I could see, for example, I could see my parents hearing what he had to say and being like, oh, that's a good point. We'll still vote for the Republican, but he, if he becomes president, we won't think he's evil. Right. Like they would have thought about Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I don't... I'm, I'm nervous overall in that almost everybody I talk to doesn't seem to feel super excited about anyone any one or two candidates and it isn't even that they're like 
spread out across the field, it's like almost everyone I talk about is like, I don't know. And I, it's a long way to the election, but I also think that like, that's not a great sign. Mm -hmm. So. Did you find Matt, that passage? Matt has, a, Matt has a, a look of... Okay, so let's face. just reestablish that Dan did not do his job in bringing literature that had... Um, I can find the relevant text where I asked you to find a piece of literature that had a recipe in it. How far back is this text? I, it's fine. I, anyway. We're not, not going to talk about it anymore. Uh, Three years ago. I, brought, I did my part, and I brought okay. Moby Dick with us, which is um, as fine a book as one is likely to find. <laughs> Uh, That's true. And uh, uh, I'm just going to read a little bit of some some food, some culinary Moby Dick. So this is in, a, in the chapter where it's not the whale they're really after. It's sort of a consolation whale that they kill, and then they watch, like, the sharks just bore into this thing as it's, like, they tie it to the side of the boat, and the sharks just, like, they describe it as, like, drill heads, like, just screwing out with chunks of flesh. And at the same time, Stubbs, one of the uh, first mates, um, wants to eat a steak of this thing. And, uh, and he's complaining to the cook about how the cook is cooking it. And he says to the cook, so this is the recipe part. So if we ever, we ever find some whale steak, we need to do it this way. He says, well, for the future, when you cook another whale steak for my private table here, the capstan, I'll tell you what to do so as not to spoil it by overdoing. Hold the steak in one hand and show a live coal to it with the other. That done, dish it. You hear? So, that's how we cook it. You just hold a, a coal in the presence of the steak. That's it. Uh, and then in the next chapter, we have some more, like, um, explanation about the... Uh, we'll just dive deeper into the, the conceptual part of eating, eating whales. And it goes like this. The fact is that among his hunters at least, the whale would by all hands be considered a noble dish, were, not, were there not so much of him. But when you come to sit down before a meat pie nearly 100 feet long, it takes away your appetite. Only the most unprejudiced of men, like Stubb, one in the previous chapter, nowadays partake of cooked, wheels, cooked whales, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he's saying that like, if people would like whale meat more if there weren't so much whale to have to consider at a time, which is a valid point. Uh, and then finally, he says, it is not perhaps entirely because the whale is so excessively unctuous, greasy, that the landsmen seem to regard the eating of him with abhorrence. That appears to result in some way from the consideration before mentioned, i.e. that a man should eat a newly murdered thing of the sea and eat it too by its own light. So, meaning that they're like the harvesting whale. whale oil. Whale oil, candles and things like that. So they're have. seeing by the light of the whale, and that's the thing that, like, is unappetizing to most people. Um, but no doubt the first man that ever murdered an ox was regarded as a murderer. Perhaps he was hung. And if he'd been put on trial by oxen, he certainly would have been. And he certainly deserved it if any murderer does. Go to the meat market of Saturday night and see the crowds of live bipeds staring up at the long rows of dead quadrupeds. Does not that sight take a tooth out of the cannibal's jaw? Cannibals? Who is not a cannibal? 
I tell you it will be more tolerable for the Fiji that salted down a lean missionary in his cellar <laughs> against a coming famine. It will be more tolerable for that provident Fiji, I say, in the day of judgment than for thee, civilized and enlightened gourmand, who nailest geese to the ground and feastest on their bloated livers in thy pate de foie gras. Is that not amazing? Wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> this book is one of the funniest things I have ever read and biting. And and how old was Herman Melville when he wrote this book? Do you remember? I, I texted it to you, you the other day. Did, 20 something. I feel like it was 33. 33, okay, the age of Christ. Oh, yeah, he was 33 when he wrote this book. Doesn't that make you feel like an abject failure? Yes, it does. Also, he wrote this book just to bring it full circle to our conversation with you, he wrote this book to impress his uh, Nathaniel crush, Hawthorne. Nathaniel Hawthorne, that he was madly in love with, probably. Mm-hmm. At the age that you went to seminary. Uh, or not ish, at the age that I went ish. to seminary. I thought you said he was 26. No? No, he was 33 when right. he wrote this book. All right, fair enough. I think. I might be wrong. Sounds good to me. It's a... F- it's like, this book is, this is the book that should be the American scripture. It is, it is, it is, it is both American scripture and American incantation against America itself. Yeah, it is like, it is which is curse. what scripture, which is what scripture is. Oh, that's like, true. That's the, the prophets, prophets are all, yeah, they are, it's an incantation against Israel. You're right. It's that whole, like... Herman Melville, is he not among the prophets? That's the... Who says that? Is that a thing? Is that a quote um, I Is know? Saul not also among the prophets? Oh, that's right, it. That's gotcha. from the book okay. of Samuel. Um, and even here, right, he's like, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment, right? That's yeah, Jesus. That's Jesus, absolutely right? it is. For the Fijian. And also his, like, there's something so subversive throughout the whole book about the way that he like he zeroes in on these characters that most Americans would think of as at the time as beneath them or Mm -hmm. uncivilized or whatever and then like lifts them up and uses them to dash down the American American project the whole American project symbolized by the the ship itself really as a former vegan, Liz, did that. I mean, like, how can that? Like, there was I like have a this vegan great picture. I have right this there. great picture of Liz, like, with chopsticks in her hand and jiggling ox knee, uh, <laughs> dripping into her mouth. Uh. I did not originally become a vegan because of animal, like, animal rights or anything like that. that. But I would also say I'm not, I don't feel 100% comfortable eating animals. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a tension. There's definitely a tension there. Uh, I think that's the right way to approach it. Yeah. Still haven't settled that one. Probably never will. That's all I got. 
I feel like those whales. I feel like that. She's so excited. I feel like that oxney is the closest thing to those whale sticks, and that might be the thing that brings us to the end of this. Yeah, I think we're back to L.A. Hanbachulung Yeah, you're right. Yep. I wonder, does is oh there was a uh, today actually uh, a four-legged whale um, skeleton was just announced in the scientific. See literature. how Matt is trying to like extend trying to, uh, to no, branch this off science. out of the circle no, no, that we just to, made. This is trying to tie the circle a little oh. tighter. So uh, it's a whale with an actual knee. Was my whole point. Oh yeah, oh. We, we did it. Yeah. Well, we really they used to it. have knees. Exactly, but yeah. to, that's what I'm saying. They found this this fossil. Of a whale ancestor oh. with all four legs intact, this whole fossil. So we already knew, like, Ambulocletus natans was the, uh-huh. uh, the whale ancestor that, that they probably had pieces of. Ambulocletus. Ambulocletus. Walking something. A walking thing. Walking thing. Is the a Cletus thing? The ambulatory What does Cletus mean? I, don't, I have no idea. I, don't know. I know ambula. I feel like, I feel like if you read, if you, like, reread the, uh, the, the, uh, the intro, the very for, like for the, the intro summer. to Moby Dick. If it's, yeah. it's probably there at some point, or there was one chapter in which he probably says something about Ambly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're right. Whale knee, whale knee would probably be delicious if a Korean got a hold of it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I. I'm, you're not. That's not a good ending. You're not comfortable with that one. <laughs> I'm just not. Th- I just don't think I'm there with whale meat. Okay, I was worried you were really? concerned with the throat the, with the ethnic. Well, no. I don't think I don't think that no, I'm concerned the about a few other things that happen in this podcast, but that's not that's not one of them. I feel like Herman Melville is also not really on the whole eating whale. Oh, he clearly like he thinks of whales as higher than we are. Yeah, absolutely. Is this really beautiful scene? Remember when they're like mating? And there, and then there's like this, like these concentric I a mother circles and some cubs. of whales. And at one point, one of the whaling, like the little mm. boats, right, that go out to harpoon whales, they like drift out, and they look down and they see, it's like these concentric circles of whales swimming, and they're like in the middle, in the very middle, there are whales mating. And then, like, in the circle outward, there are, like, whales swimming in a circle. And then the circle outward, there are, like, mother whales with their baby whales. And then another whale circle, you know, it's just, like, these circles. It's like a scene from Dante's Divine Comedy. It's, oh, with it's the, the, it's the heavens. Of... It's, the, it's like the divine imperium. It's the, the, the sort of, like, concentric circles of the heavens. But they're laid out as whales and with and in the very center is the love that as Dante would say it's the love that moves the stars and other planets it's these whales that are coupling in the center of it all and they like gaze down into it and it's all of this perfect harmony it's like that in in the book the whales are the divine and if only those whales had had a purity culture yeah no, that didn't wrap it up. This is not happy. I was just conclusion. about to say, Dan, thank you so much. We can edit. For we can edit. On our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just go ahead and say this it. This is over. <laughs> it's done. I'm gonna have to go home and have more food. I'm hungry. We were here so long. I got hungry. I haven't eaten yet. I know. I can't. I can't. Let's keep going. That. Let's keep going. It's perfect. Uh, we're ending. Thank you so much. You thank are you, a Liz. delight. 
And I'm so glad we're friends. Same. All right. Till next time. Okay. Thanks for listening to part eight of our eight part series. This is at least getting split into two for sure. Uh, This is three hours and 40 minutes. Yeah. So I think this is a three parter. Yep. Yep. All right. Cool. Cheers. Bye. Fun. Thank you. All right. That was it. All right. Thanks for uh, listening all the way to the end. Yeah, that was that was a commitment. We uh, we we're impressed and we appreciate it. Yeah, you're like a super fan. Mm-hmm. Um, Next go, time. Oh wait. I was gonna say go to questionablepodcast.com. Yep. To see pictures and you know read liturgies and things like that. Um, go to iTunes to rate us. Um, you know, as many as five stars, if that's... Honestly, please only leave a review if you're going to leave a five-star review. One time I knew someone who genuinely asked me to review something, but then basically demanded, basically said, only leave a review if you're going to leave a five-star review. And how did that make you feel, Liz? Not good. Mm. Man, um, like I was being manipulated a little bit. Oh. So how, how do we come off as... Um, as faux authentic, our, our brand of, of faux authenticity, uh, and still ask people to say nice things about us. Um, I feel like I'm acknowledging that's what I'm that's, doing. That's all we can do. So that yeah, that's okay. all I can do. I I I know how this feels. I've been on the <laughs> other side, and we're doing it anyway. And I'm doing it. I mean, that's the cycle, right? Okay, people that is. It is hurt people, hurt people. <laughs> so anyway, um, our next guest. We're not entirely sure who it's going to be, but it's going to be a lady because I made Matt promise that we would not have more than two men in a row before we had a lady. Is this a bad time to to admit that if you had asked for like every other one, I would have said okay to that as well? I feel no, like no, somehow I, w- I, I came ahead without intending this to be like a line in the sand that I really was going to fight over. No, I'm, I'm okay with where we landed it. Okay. Um, yeah. All right, good. If I feel good about it. Me too. All right, well, we'll see you next time. Bye. It's questionable. People. It's questionable. Things. It's just a temporary thing. So don't get too attached.